0: Hello and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Sunday was really eye opening, and I, I totally agree with Michelle. You know, it gives you, it gave us such a different perspective, you know, on the Rapture. I mean, we, you know, growing up, you know, you know, you're over 50 years old, or, you know, I'm way past 50, um, you know, and you grew up hearing about Jesus coming back for every, you know, you just thought, oh, you know, y'all have talked about this, so, you know, it can just go right on past you. But that brought it home again, you know, about really what it's all about. And I just, I'm with her, I just love the fact. You know, that he said it's just the beginning. It is not the end of anything. It is the very beginning. And so just, just with Sunday sitting, sitting here listening to him, you know, the Lord just started talking to me about some things, and, and it kind of all kind of brought me back to what we were talking about last week. And so we're going, I'm going to kind of just kind of go a little further or just keep going, I don't know, uh, on what we were talking about last week. Do you remember what we were talking about last week? Distractions, and um, and and the reason is because after Sunday and Brother Joe being here, you know, it was impressed on me greatly that we have to look at our lives and the things that we do, and the things that we say, and the way we live before men in the eternal perspective not just a natural perspective. You know, the enemy, you know, I, I think I said this last week, You know that, we, that the purpose of distraction is to take your eyes, your attention, your focus, your energy, your resources from that which is most profitable for you and for the plan that God has for you in your life. Well, now that's true, but it goes beyond that. It, uh, distractions are geared so that you don't accomplish God's plan. I'm going to take the part of for your life off and I'm going to say, because God's plan has to do with your life. But it's so much bigger than that. God's, he's had a plan since the day man was created. He's had a plan. And and as believers, as children of God, as, as ambassadors of Christ in this earth, our job is to begin to look at life from an eternal point of view, not just me point of view, not just my life point of view, not just what I can have, what belongs to me? All those things are important, but we have to get beyond that. You know, it's God raised up a man by the name of Kenneth E. Hagen to preach the word of faith. Why? To get us ready for the time that we're living in now. And all those years he taught on faith. And one day the Lord said to him, you've got plenty of good faith teachers out there now. I want you to start concentrating on teaching how to pe- people how to flow in the Holy Ghost. And that's not just flow in a service. That's flow in your everyday life. That is to hear God accurately during your day. He raised him up to show And do you know how many people basically abandoned him when God put that new assignment on him? People we had known for years, you know, thought suddenly this is excess. Why is this necessary? What is this all about? You know, the word is fine. You know, and they stuck with it for a little while. And then in a little while, suddenly you go, where are they? People we know. Personally. Pastors, we know. Personally. Ramagrads, we know. Personally. People who have been in the ministry for years that we know. Now, you know, that kind of thing is kind of relegated to another time, not the Sunday morning service, not the regular service. If you want to know more about about the baptism of the Holy Ghost, we'll have a class for you. We'll meet with you after the service. Or they don't give him any time at all in a service to move. I, I have... I've seen, you know, I've seen these guys who, who have their services so regulated and so regimented and so timed that, you know, God wouldn't have time to do anything. You know, there is no way God's going to go, uh, oh, oh, oh. you know, never, never given an opportunity to talk. God is never given an opportunity, you know, to move. It, and that's one of the reasons why it's been so important for you and me to be together during all these months. The Word is great. The Word is wonderful. I mean, we're blessed by the Word. We grow by the Word. We, faith comes by hearing the Word. But we need the move of the Holy Ghost just like we need the Word. And you don't get that online. You don't get that sitting in your living room or, your, or sitting in the middle of your bed watching an online service because I know many people have done that. They didn't get out of their PJs. It, was, it wasn't taken as what it was, a calling together. Even if it's online, if there was a calling together. But there are certain things that you won't get for a minister to stand in a pulpit and preach to an empty room. There is no unction for him because there's nobody here for the Holy Ghost to move on to bless. You know, it's amazing what happens when you come into a service and you put a demand on the person standing in the pulpit. God will respond to that. But when there's nobody out there, who's he going to respond to? And so it's been really vitally important for you and me to be together as much as we, can. even when it was outdoors, you could feel the anointing out there. And pastor miraculously kept it to 30 minutes. And he's forgotten that since we moved back in the building. Well, since we went back to one service, you know, he, he was pretty good about when we were doing two, but he's forgotten that, but that's Okay. You know, it's important. There are reasons why it's important. There are eternal reasons why it's important for you and me to be together in one place. And all this this stuff that's been happening, you know, in the last few years and especially the last few months is a distraction away from what God is about to do. That's what's going on. Do you realize that? That is what's going, and it's got lots of little elements involved in it. But altogether, what you can say is what's going on in our nation and in the world at large has to do with the enemy trying to to distract, to take away, to sabotage, to, to circumvent the plan that God has for this particular time, for this hour, for this day. And Brother Joe just brought it back home, home to me on Sunday that we have to have an eternal perspective of the way we live our lives because you know and, and I'm just these notes that I've got are just kind of are kind of all oversight so I, it was kind of like scattershot when I was putting them together you know there's little bits and pieces that are together but but there's kind of all over but but here it is you know, you never know the eternal ramifications of what you do when you refuse to be distracted. You don't know, but the person that you came in contact with at the grocery store, that this particular moment might be the only moment they're going to be open to the gospel. You don't know. You don't know when somebody asks you a question about the things of God that this may be the only opening they'll ever allow someone to have. You don't know. And you can't know. And you think, well, it's no big deal. You, you get this stirring in you that, you know, I need to say something to this person, maybe somebody you know, maybe a total stranger. You get this, 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 leaning, this little, this little nudge right here, and you go, no, not today. I'm busy, distracted. I've got places to go, things to do. That's, that's my problem sometimes is I just get so focused on what I have to do, where I have to be, you know, what I've got to accomplish, you know, that I can get very distracted by that. But, you know, it's time for us to stop that and to pay attention to those big and tiny leadings that we get. Eternity for some people depends on you going with that little tiny voice that you're hearing on the inside of you, and you don't know but what one simple word, one simple explanation of something, one simple answer, what will open up because of that, that will impact more than just you, more than just that one person. It could impact their family for generations. 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 It can have a ripple effect on their job. It can have a ripple effect in their school. It can have a ripple effect anywhere they go just because one somebody, something one person said to this person then just opens a floodgate of blessing. See, God's intent, the eternal purpose of Jesus is that every man be born again. That every man come to know him. That every man, woman, boy, girl finds themselves a citizen of heaven. Their name's written in the book of life. That's the plan. Now, not everybody's name will be there. But it shouldn't be because they didn't hear. How shall they hear except someone tell them? How shall they hear? Would, you, would it not be a horrible thing to stand before God one day and see somebody that that has turned aside and you look at them and go, "I recognize them." I had an opportunity, and I didn't take it. Can you imagine such a thing? And yet, I, I've known of, of people who you know, have who, told me stories about how they, they were led to either pray for somebody or go talk to somebody or, or just, just some little something, and they didn't do it, and something in that person's life happened, and they never had that opportunity. They were gone. Gone. We can't afford to let that happen. Because we've got to start being distracted by our own lives, our own issues, our own tests, our own trials, and look beyond that. And to see, you know, what's God telling me to do today? I guarantee you, sowing into someone else and following those leadings that come out of your heart and out of your spirit will reap great rewards in your life. God will never ask you to do something big or small. That there's not great blessing attached to it. And it's not just what you do, it's the obedience to do it. You know, I you can you can pray for people, you can, and I've said this recently to a couple of different people, you can pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray for somebody. And they seem to always make the wrong choice. And you can, and then the enemy can get on your back and beat you up. Because, well, you just didn't pray enough. You didn't pray hard enough. You didn't stick with it long enough. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. And I've had to say, listen, the effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous makes tremendous power available. But God gave each person a free will. And it's up to them to take what's been made available to them and do something with it. But we can't ignore or or excuse ourselves from doing what God's asking us to do, what that little inward witness is telling us to do because of the distractions that are in our own lives. There is eternity attached to that. Do you understand me? Eternity is attached to those things. You know, I I went back and I started looking at at people in the Old Testament who weren't distracted and the eternal purposes that, that came as a result. Noah. Do you know Noah was 500 years old before he had his three sons? 500, oh my Lord. Oh, no, 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 no. 500, I'm going, how old was his wife? That's what I want to know. How old was she? She's going to be taking care of these youngins, you know, probably. But, you know, how old was she? But anyway, he's 500 years old when he has these three sons. Now, I don't know. It really doesn't tell us that his sons helped him with the ark. I, should, I would think that any self-respecting father knows that the only reason you have children is to make them work. You, know. you, you, you got free work, free workers here, got, you know. So anyway, you know, maybe so, but he was six hundred when the flood came. So there's a hundred years in between the time that it states that he had those those children, and when he and when the flood began. A hundred years. Let's just say he started the ark, you know, 500 and piece 520. This man had many, many, many years to be distracted. Can you imagine his neighbors knowing what you're doing? I'm building an ark. Well, what's that? Can you imagine trying to explain that to your neighbors? I mean, God is about to put Noah and his sons and their wives and and his own wife in a big, huge boat with all these animals. And none of the rest of these people are going. God's not going to let them in the boat, which tells me that this is an unrighteous, ungodly people that he's around. Do you think they were nice to him as he's building this big boat? What are you doing? I'm building a boat. You were doing that last year. I'm still doing it. 20 years later, what you doing, Noah? I'm building a big boat. Why? I, I, God told me to. Well, what you doing that for? I don't understand what you're doing that for. Can you Can you imagine all the nonsense he put up with? And yet he refused to be distracted. He stayed on task. And he saw the plan that God had fulfilled because he stayed on task. And refused to be distracted by any kind of criticism, any kind of ridicule, any kind of questioning. There came a day when, as the rains began, and all the animals were on the ark, that God said, get you and your, your wife, get your, your boys and their wives, and you can get in the ark. And you know who shut the door on the ark? God shut the door. Noah would never have to feel sorry for those people or feel bad, feel responsible for those people. He had been telling them about what was coming for many, many years. But because God didn't want him to feel um, under any kind of condemnation about why he didn't let some of them on the boat, God shut the door. God did that. And the plan of God was fulfilled right there, right then. Then there was Abraham. He was Abraham, Abram, when he left his home country in Genesis 12. You know, you don't just up and leave your family. You know, these are the kind of families that you just enlarge, you know, the, the tent and all this kind of stuff. You just add on. You add to the family. You know, the kids get grown and they get married. You just kind of add, add to it, you know. But he picked up and left, and he kept going. He didn't know where he was going. Now I know there's some people who've used that little phrase, you know, when they when they leave when they've left church and said, and we're going, Why are you why are you leaving? And they go, Well, I'm just like Abram. I don't know. God's just leading me. And I'm going, No, that's not it. We got the Holy Ghost these days, and he doesn't operate like that. You know, that's nonsense. Of course I knew the reasons. You know, they just didn't own up to him. But he left his home. And he just kept doing, just going the next place, the next place. Now, he got distracted. You know, and that's what I love about, about God is he will show you examples of people who weren't distracted and people who were. And he'll show you people who weren't, and then they were, and then they weren't, and then they were, then they weren't. You know, just to let us know, hey, you know, humanity is frail. Flesh, you know, can, can, be, can be overwhelming sometimes. And, but you can get back on the right track. You know, and Abram did that. He did that twice when it came to Sarah. Twice. He he, he lied about who she was. Well, you're my sister now. Don't say you're my wife. You're my sister. And God pulled him out of that mess twice. Got distracted, you know, from all this because he was afraid for his safety. You know, and, and yet when it came time for, for him to go up to on the mountain and take his son Isaac... And do what God had said to do. He was so not distracted by this that an angel had to come and keep him from doing it. And he was so determined to do exactly what God had said to do, to stay on task with what God had said do, that an angel had to show up and go, no! And what happened to that? God demonstrated that there was a man who was willing to sacrifice his son so that God could in turn sacrifice his. And he showed himself, revealed himself in one of the redemptive names that we use today, Jehovah-Jireh. An eternal purpose, an eternal result, an eternal difference was made because somebody stayed on task. Joseph, not distracted. Now, I know he started out, you know, as a young man, you know. Uh, being a little full of himself, and that's why his brothers, you know, sold him off into slavery. But once he, he did that, you know, when he got into Potiphar's house, not distracted by anything, even, even an accusation that came against him that was wrong, not distracted by that. He just kept doing what he knew to do, just kept doing what he knew to do, and God promoted him. Then when he got in prison, he just kept doing what he knew to do, he kept doing what he needed to do, and God promoted him. And then he got out of prison. And he found himself as second in charge of the entire country of Egypt. I mean, one of the, the most prominent cities, the most prominent countries of that time. He is second in charge. And what was his eternal purpose? His eternal purpose was to, was to have his family come. And, and to be rescued from a famine in another land and to prosper. And then then you find people like Joshua and Caleb sent to spy out a land and came back with a good report. Ten others came back with an evil report. But for 40 years, they kept on target, not distracted in one little bit that God said, that's our land, and we're going to have it. We're going in. We're going in. We're well able. We're well able. He's given it to us. We are well able. For 40 years, they stayed on target. 40 years not distracted from what God had said do. And when when the 40 years was up and they were ready to go in, Caleb, who's 90 years old, says, give me that mountain. I want the mountain. Everybody else, other people wanted the other things that looked easy. And he said, no, mm, I want the mountain. I need the mountain. Because he's already learned that what God had said would come to pass, would come to pass on the mountain or in the plains. And he wanted to prove, you know, that God was who he said he was. He wanted to take that mountain. He wanted to show these young whippersnappers who had been born during that 40 years this is the God who is well able to to give us the land. This is the one who said, Every place on which your foot shall tread, I've given it to you. That's the same God that I serve today. So give me that mountain. Love it. Hallelujah. Then there's Elijah over in 1 Kings. He, he goes up against the prophets of Baal. I mean, to tell you, I mean, there's all, I mean, you read the story of all the things and he just stood there and looked at them. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 okay. And then what happens if you've read the story lately or you know at all, you know that he caught fire down from heaven. I'm telling you what, turned the place upside down, killed all the prophets of Baal, And almost in the next breath, some little woman comes along and says, I'm going to take your head off. And he turns tail and runs. Oh, God. Oh, God. You know, we get so whiny sometimes. And you know what? Sometimes we whine the most right after a big victory. Truth. I'm speaking truth. You co- you come to you come to a series meeting and, and I tell this every time we have a ladies conference. You know I have said, all right, now you've gotten blessed during this. I want to warn you right now that as soon as you get home, the enemy is going to come and try to steal everything you got. Don't let him. Don't let him. And it's always true. And yeah, you, uh, you know we're just like Elijah. Big huge victory. God showed up. I mean miraculous. I mean fires everywhere and, and the, the prophets are dead and all this and, and then some little scrawny woman, I don't know what she looked like, Jezebel. What a name. I mean it's 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 connected with such it's such it's such an insult to call somebody a Jezebel. You know, and she threatens him, and he turns tail and runs. Oh, oh, God, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. I just want to die. I just want to die. Just kill me. Really? Come on. Really? I mean, I'm sure God is getting there going, are you kidding me? Really? I called fire down from heaven for you. You've outrun chariots. Really? And I think he probably takes the same stance with us every so often. We get in our little whiny pity parties. And he's going really? How many times have I shown myself strong in your behalf? How many times have I come through for you? How many times have I provided for you out of the blue from unexpected places, unexpected sources? How many times have I given you answers that you had no answer to? How many times? Really? Really? I know he's done that to me many times. Really? <laughs> yes, Lord, I'm sorry. You know, but, but you know, you've got Elijah. Then you've got Daniel. Oh, Gracious Daniel. Daniel. Let's go over to Daniel. Daniel 6. I tell you what, Daniel is an, was an amazing man. Amazing man. In Daniel sixth chapter, I love verse 3. It says, then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. An excellent spirit. What a tremendous thing to have written about you. You have an excellent spirit. Excellent. You can put your own interpretation on that word. You can go look it up. You can you can go through your concordance. You can find out what all that means. But I'm telling you what, excellent to mean to me, means that it was of such great quality that that's the best, the best word to describe it that the English language has. He was excellent in spirit. And it, and it goes down, you know, you, know, you the king you know, had made a decree that nobody was going to pray to anybody but him. And in verse 10, it says, now Daniel knew that the writing was signed. He knew it was signed. And he went into his house. His windows are open toward Jerusalem, and he kneeled on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did before. You know, that would be a great opportunity to let yourself be distracted by what the king's ruling was. But he did not. He was a man of excellent spirit. Listen, for us to do what we need to do, we need to to make sure that we have an excellent spirit. So that we don't compromise just because somebody says something threatening. Tell you what, it's time for the church to rise up today and not bow to the pressure of the threats that the enemy, that the devil is throwing our way through people. It's time for us to rise up and not let that happen. Uh, and, And the king even recognized it. If you go down to verse 16, the king himself says this. Thy God whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. He will deliver you. But you see, the key here is your God whom you serve continually. Continually. How often have distractions come into our lives that we set aside serving God because of the distractions? You know, and, and like I said last week, sometimes distractions, you know, are just just personal things and you know, just within ourselves just, you know, we get distracted by thinking about other things and doing other things. And sometimes situations come into, into our lives that are, that are really just we have no choice but to deal with. And yet we can let those things become distractions. We can let, you know, I found out I, over the years, I, I, was, I was looking back over, over the last you know, 20 years, and I'm thinking, you know, pastor had cancer, and I had cancer, you know, and, 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 and I'll be honest with you. When, when you're dealing with something like that, it's on your mind so continually that if you're not careful, that's all you want to talk about when anybody's around is what this is going on in your body, and what's going on this, and what treatments you're in, and what's this, 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 and what's this. you know, and it becomes a huge distraction. What's going on in my body, you know, I, over in the New Testament it says Abraham didn't consider his own body, he, he didn't pay any attention. You know, there was no, re- there was, I mean, you have to say, he man's old, and it's not like he's gonna have a baby. And it's not like this is going to happen. He's too old for this. His wife is too old for this. But he didn't consider those things. He didn't go around talking about, you know, God said this, but, you know, I just don't see how it's going to happen because, I mean, after all, Sarah's this old and, and I'm this old and da, da, da. But we, we let the situations of our lives take such preeminence in our lives that we get so totally distracted from what God's going to do. And I tell you what, we need to, we need to turn distractions into opportunities. Okay, so I do have to go through this. I have to, but let me make some opportunities here. Let me make some opportunities. I appreciate so much what Rayleigh and, and uh, that husband of yours, Luke, <laughs> did when Maverick was in the hospital. I mean, the t- all the time she had to spend in the hospital, all the time they had to be there after the baby was born, all this. And, and I remember her telling me if I'm gonna be here, then I'm gonna witness to everybody who comes in my room. I'm gonna be a. I'm gonna be something that they can come back. They won't come into my room and find me having a pity party. I'm come. they won't come in and they're gonna find me smiling and praising God. So if you're in a, in a desperate situation, what would some be this desperate situation to some people? Okay, fine. You have you have to walk it out. You have to deal with it. You have to believe God through it. But turn those things from distractions and turn them into opportunities. People need to see that you are willing to stand on the Word of God no matter what it looks like to them because you're considering not the things that are going on. You're considering the one who is the pro- the answer, the way maker. You're considering Him. And and they need to see that. It might be the one thing that changes their lives. You don't ever know. Hallelujah. So Daniel, that was, that's in, in chapter 6. Go over to um, Daniel 9. In verse 3. This is a man who was, who, who was not going to be distracted. In verse 3 he said, And I set my face unto the Lord God, to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I set my face. That is a determined individual not to let anything get in his way. Nothing get his attention. Nothing take away from what he knew he needed to do. He set his face To the Lord God, to seek God. And then you go on over to to chapter 10. And in verse 2, it says, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. Now, that's not mourning like boo-hoo-hoo. That is mourning like I have set my face, you know, to seek God kind of of thing. And if you go down to uh, verse 11, this, this man, this angel said, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto you and stand upright for unto you now am I, am I sent. And in verse 12 he says, For from the first day that you set your heart, you determined not to be distracted. From the first day you set your heart to understand and to chasten yourself or to submit yourself before the Lord thy God, Your words were heard, and I'm come for your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Listen, what if he'd given up on day 10? What if he'd given up? What if he'd given up on day 12? I mean, some of us can't make it a whole week. You know, we're going to be believe in God for this, but we can't, we can't even make it a whole seven days. You know, uh, maybe sometimes, you know, I've been guilty. You know, give it, let me give it a couple of hours. You know, if it's no better, I'm going to go take something. And yet, here's Daniel, a man who put himself in a place for 21 days and wasn't about to give up when the angel appeared to him and said, Daniel, here I am. I'm what you've been praying for. I've got something for you, but somebody withstood me for 21 days. Why am I still am I here now? Because you didn't give up during those 21 days. You kept praying. Let me tell you, don't. If you're talking about family members or things, situations that need to change in your life, don't give up. Don't get distracted by the time or the situation or the circumstance or the people you keep, if God has put it on your heart that this is what's going to take place, you stick with it. I don't care how tough it looks. You stay with it. Because just like he said, from the first day that you set your heart to understand, your words were heard and I've come for your words. I have come for you see people who did not get distracted. And so, you know, I'm 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 looking, you know, today and I'm going, you know, all I could think about was this this verse over in Psalm 1 that said he's like a tree planted by the water. And I'm going, I shall not be I shall not be moved. That's not in the Bible anywhere. But it sure and it would be nice if it was. But it gives us it gives that song gives us the understanding I will not be moved. Just like the tree that's planted right by the waters, whose roots go deep into the ground and is nourished by a continual flow of water. I will not be moved. Look at those cypress trees in the middle of a swamp. They're not going to be moved for nothing. And that's the way you and I have to be. We have to not be moved. And so then I went running around looking at places where I could find something about being moved. In uh, Psalm 123, we talked about that verse. The Knox translation of that says, he stands firm as a tree planted by running water. Now here, I'll give you these. Psalm fifteen five, a man who walks uprightly shall never be moved. Psalm 21, 7, the king trusts in the Lord. Any kings in here? Oh, come on now. You've been made kings and priests. So we got some kings in here, right? King, the king trusts in the Lord. He shall not be moved. Psalm 16, verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Psalm 30, verse 6. It it starts in the verse before it says, you know, the one that says weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And the next verse says, in my prosperity, I said, don't you like that? In my prosperity, I said, I shall not be moved. Got that one, Doug? All right. Psalm 62, verse 6 says, He only is my rock in salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. You need somebody to defend you? You've got the greater one on the inside, and you've got God backing you up everywhere you go. He's the one who'll be your defense. Hallelujah. Proverbs 12, 3 says, The root of the righteous shall not be moved. The Knox translation of that says, the just have roots immovable. The New English Bible says, good men have roots that cannot be dislodged. The Jerusalem version says, nothing shakes the roots of righteous men. And the Moffat translation says, never shall good men be uprooted. I'm telling you what we, we need to find ourselves in a place where you need to say I shall not be I shall not be moved sing it to yourself whenever the enemy presents you with a problem a situation a circumstance you know a health issue a financial issue whatever just I shall not be I shall not be moved I shall sing your way out of it rejoice your way out of it praise your way out of it the enemy is silenced by your praise and you have to, you have to get to a place where I shall not be, I shall not be moved. I know what God said to me and I won't be moved off of it. I won't take anything less than what he said. I'm not compromising what he said. I'm not compromising what he said he would give me. I'm not compromising what he said he would do for me. I'm not compromising the end results of this situation. I shall not be moved. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, I, 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 then I went from moved to steadfast. In uh, Isaiah 50, verse 7, and Jesus is talking. He says, Has, I, that I have set my face like flint. I want you to go with me. To, you're not too far from Isaiah. Um, you, I left you in Daniel, I believe. Um, go to Isaiah 50, where this verse is. Hallelujah. Is that right? Did I write the wrong thing down? Oh, nope, there it is. In verse 7, it says, For the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like flint. And I know that I shall not be ashamed. Yeah, you know, that's the kind of verse that you and I need to hang on to. When we're in times of trouble, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore, I won't be confounded. I won't be confused. I won't be dismayed. I won't be discouraged. I won't be depressed. I won't be whining. Therefore, have I set my face like Flint, and I know I'll not be ashamed. I know I can count on my God i 'm not going to say this to everybody else and then have him not back me up it won 't happen it just won 't happen too many times people have said, Well, I believe God for this, but it, it just didn 't happen God just god didn 't come through no 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 no, no. There will never be a time where you can say god didn 't come for, through for you if it didn 't happen the way He originally told you it was going to happen something 's wrong on your end i 'm sorry to tell you this, but it 's on your end. Well, that's not very nice. It is, it is the nicest thing I can say to you because if I thought we served a God who was that wishy-washy, I would say don't bother. But I know we have a God who is not the least bit wishy-washy that when he says what he says, he means what he says, and he'll come through with what he says. His word will always come back to us with a great blessing, great bounty. It will not return to him void. Hallelujah. And so it's got to be on my end, and I can change me. That's the beauty of it. I have the ability to change the one who's got the problem. It's on me. This is great. Hallelujah. Amen. Paul over in Acts 20, and he says, all he says, I don't know what waits for me in Jerusalem. I know that I go bound in the Spirit, and these and these things may be awaiting. He said, but he said, this is what he said. None of these things move. He went to Jerusalem knowing some things that were not pleasant were going to happen to him, and he was not moved by that. Now, how many of us, if God told us there was something bad coming up in our future, could say, I know it, but this doesn't move me. This doesn't move me. I would dare say that would stretch some of us greatly. We'd have to stop and think about it a while. Listen. When you come up against anything, you just know none of these things move me. Whatever answer I need, I'll have. Just like over in Isaiah, whatever answer I need, I'll have. I won't be. I won't be disturbed. I won't be confused. I won't be dismayed. Won't be depressed. None of these things move me. Hallelujah. Acts two forty two. Keep your thumb right there in Isaiah. We may come back to that in just a second in another place. Acts 2.42. You know, there's been a great revival this particular day. And when it was all said and done, verse 41, it says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now, you want to know how to be You want to know how to be immovable? right here and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers they continued steadfastly i've got written here in the margin they devotedly devoted themselves steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine you know why some people don't make it as believers they're happy, they're joyous for a while because they don't do this. They don't continue steadfastly in doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. You, you, you said, Well, why you know, how come they backslid? How come they, they didn't they didn't stay with the things of God? Right here, they didn't continue steadfastly. You want to be a successful believer? Continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in your pastor's doctrine. Be careful who you listen to beyond your pastor. God placed you in a church to be under your pastor's teaching, not some TV minister's preaching, not some internet preacher's teaching. He put you in a church to be under your pastor's teaching. And you need to pay more attention to what your pastor says than what the internet guy says and what the TV guy says and what the guy down the street says. Amen. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But that's, that's continued steadfastly. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you. 1 Corinthians 58 says, Be ye steadfast and unmovable. There's a good command for you. Be ye steadfast and immovable. You know, I looked at, at, at Jesus' life, and, and I saw that so many times when he was out ministering and stuff, that there were opportunities to be distracted. And yet, he did exactly what I said a few minutes ago. He turned distractions into opportunities. He's on his way to Jairus' house because his daughter was dead. And on the way, this woman came along and touched the hem of his garment in a crack. And he took the opportunity to turn around and to pull her out of the crowd to recognize her and commend her for her for her faith as an example to everybody that was listening. When Lazarus, they came and told him that Lazarus, he already knew he was dead. He already he says now this death. He said he was asleep. He lingered two more days. When he finally got to Lazarus, Lazarus has been in the grave for four days. And yet, all the while, he wasn't distracted from the ministry that God had put him in and the job, the assignment God had given him. Along your journey of life, no matter what comes your way, don't be distracted by the things that pop up here and there. Keep your eyes on them, on what God has assigned you to do. Amen. Hallelujah. In this day and age... You know, we need, to, we need to, to make sure that we're always ready. You can go to 1 Peter 3.15. It says to be ready always to give an answer. Go with me and look at that. 1 Peter. 1 Peter. Hallelujah. Glory to God. 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer. To every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with me- with meekness and fear. You know, I uh, I use the King James still. I mean, I, I've gotten so used to it over the years, I don't know what I'd do if I changed it. But anyway, I write all kinds of things in here. Where it says, be ready to give an answer, I have written in here, give a logical defense. A logical defense. And that word hope is the... K- You know, I've written in here, the confident expectation. Do you have a confident expectation in you? Be ready to give an answer for that to anybody at any time, anywhere, any place, in any circumstance of why you you trust God, why you believe in Him, why you know you're a child of God, why you know you're going to heaven, why you know you're going to see the King before too long. Be ready. And that kind of leads me back. You know, back to Isaiah fifty and verse four. And it says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakes morning by morning, he wakes my ear to hear as the learned. Listen, that's 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 so good. This and, and, and first Peter go together so well. Be always ready to give an answer. And in, in Isaiah it says that he's given me the tongue of the Lord, that I should know how to speak a word in season. Isn't that wonderful? Old Testament, New Testament coming together to make a difference. So, you know, in the, in the, in the seasons that we're living in, there's so much going on. You know, and when we talk, start to, you know, and I, I am guilty, I promise you, I, these mad, this mass, I'm always saying how tired I am of it. And yet, Sunday, Julie Kendrick. You know, I looked at her and I went, really? You have to have a mask that matches your outfit. And she's going, well, if I have to wear it, I'm going to make sure it matches whatever I'm wearing for the day. And I'm going, that's taking a distraction and turning it into an opportunity. That's just a natural thing. But you know what? When we're tempted to hear some of the junk that that we're, we're fed, you know, on the news media, instead of taking an opportunity to gripe, why don't we take an opportunity to pray? Why don't we just go, no, that will not happen in the name of Jesus. That is not what God has intended. That is, speak the word over these things. But, you know, we have to just be careful. We're not distracted by the times and the seasons that we're living in because that's exactly what the enemy wants. He wants us to be distracted by the natural things that are going on so that we do not have a clue what's really happening in the spiritual realm there 's some eternal things that are happening there 's some eternal destinies that are being that are being formed in people 's lives, and we need to be a part of making sure their destiny is going to the right place, being ready and we can 't do it if we 're distracted by what 's going on around us we can 't do it if we 're focused on all the natural, political, social. Any economic things, you know, those are things we need to be praying about. But we need to keep our focus, you know, on Jesus. Isn't that what Brother Morris said on Sunday morning? He is, we're supposed to lift up our heads. Not hang our heads, not hide our face, but lift up our heads. Our redemption draws nigh. It's coming soon. And we can't be so focused on ourselves that we're only concerned about whether we make it. But we need to look around everywhere we go and say, Lord, if there's somebody here around me that's in danger of not making it, point me in their direction. Give me an opportunity. Open a door of opportunity here that I can talk to them, that I can share something with them. At the very least, plant a seed. I may not be the one who reaps the harvest, but I can plant a seed. If there's an opportunity, Lord, I'm going to be on it. I'm not going to be so distracted by the things of my day. And the, and the duties that I, that I have to fulfill That I can't be aware of When you're trying to talk to me And point me to somebody Who needs you desperately I want to be ready I want to be ready Because I want them ready That's what it's all about So, hallelujah Soon and very soon We're going to see the king Hallelujah And I want the biggest entourage with me That I can get This is, we don't want this to be an exclusive club, but we want it to include everybody we can get our hands on. Everybody. Somebody gave you that opportunity. Somebody prayed for you. Somebody spoke a word to you. Somebody prayed with you. Somebody spoke the word to you. Somebody, you be the somebody. Don't keep being distracted with this life but remember that every single day at the end of your day, you should be able to look back and say, I have had an eternal effect on something or someone."